Welcome to episode 11 of Fretz's Fave 5. I am Mr. Fretz. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at TheLegendaryJF. And you can find me on the Game Changer podcast with good brother and co-host Nate the Effin' Great at Real Effin' Game. This podcast is available on the Fretzelmania feed on anchor.fm slash Fretzelmania. That's F-R-E-T-Z-L-E Mania and the Wrestle Addict Radio Patreon page. Now I know what you're thinking, Fretz. This is the entrance theme of Dexter Loomis. Yet it sounds suspiciously like the Stranger Things theme. Are you trying to make a Stranger Things joke? Well, yes I am. However, I left my joke book in the Upside Down and a demigorgon ate my homework. So this is what you're going to get. That was terrible and I'm going to stop. Today though, on Fretz's Fay 5, since I'm watching less and less current wrestling, I am watching stuff for my upcoming uh, 20 Bell Salute later this month. You're going to get David Arquette winning the WCW title. Yep, I'm, I'm going there. I'm going there. But this week, another new theme on the Fay 5. You're going to get my top five, my Fay 5, stables in wrestling now to me a stable is someone who is more than a tag team so at least one of these people i have will qualify uh you know they call it the Freebird rule for a reason but i think the Freebird had like four people instead of three so yes this week you're getting my f- my favorite stables uh in professional wrestling so, without further ado... Sierra Hotel, India, Echo, Lima, Delta, Shield. The Shield. Now, I hadn't seen such a impactful team or stable in wrestling up to this point in, what was it, 2012 when they debuted? Now, I hadn't seen it... Uh, so impactful since maybe the Nexus and then the NWO. So, of course, we have Roman Reigns, the artist formerly known as Dean Ambrose, and the current Monday Night Messiah, Seth Rollins. Note three NXT FCW graduates who just appeared out of nowhere in Survivor Series 2012 during CM Punk's triple threat match between John Cena and Ryback. You know, uh, CM Punk was in the midst of his record-breaking WWE title reign. I think it was like 407 days or something like that. So during this match, uh, Ambrose, Reigns, and Rollins attacked Cena and Ryback I think even delivering a triple powerbomb to Ryback through a table, allowing Punk to pin Cena to retain the title. And on the episode of Raw the next night, uh, they identified themselves as the Shield, 
vowing to rally against the injustices in the WWE. And despite claiming they were not working for Punk or Paul Heyman, they spent the next few weeks attacking Punk's adversaries, coincidentally. You know, they, they went after Randy Orton after he defeated Brad Maddox, you know. The, the referee who helped Punk beat Ryback during their uh, Hell in the Cell match a couple months ago. So the, she, the Shield's debut match, taking place at TLC 2012, where they, def- where they defeated Ryback and Team Helmo in a wicked TLC match. Now, I didn't know this, but now that I'm on their Wikipedia page, thanks Wikipedia, uh, they made an appearance on an episode of NXT for January 2nd, 2013, which was taped the previous month. You know, they were involved in Seth Rollins' title match against Corey Graves. Then throughout the next few weeks, you know, they were helping Punk and, you know, I'm glad that they distanced themselves from Punk in a way where they didn't have like Punk's like, yeah, I'm the new leader of this, of this league. These are three rookies that had the chance to make a big splash on the main roster and during their entire career, whether they were apart or together, the Shield, the Hounds of Justice... I mean, they 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 were the they they were the best stable, the best team going throughout 2012, 2013. The was it when did they break up? 2014, I believe it was. So you had their uh, WrestleMania debut against was it Big Show and Randy Orton and some and somebody else. Um, I'm just, blah, I'm just vamping here. So I remember Shield had a wicked run. You know, you had Ambrose, the current John Moxley, as a record-breaking United States champion, despite the fact he rarely defended the title. Uh, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins proved to be an amazing tag team, being a multi-time tag team champions, although they did trade the titles back and forth with the Rhodes brothers. They had a long, long standing unbeaten streak, which I believe was either broken by the Usos or, or the Rhodes brothers. Eventually seeds of dissension were starting to be sown in the shield, specifically between Ambrose and Reigns, you know, Ambrose boasting of being the only member left of the championship. And, you know, Ambrose was the one who was frequently pinned during Shields matches. You know, at Survivor Series 2013, I think this is now, a year after the debut, uh, the Shield teamed with the Real Americans, you know, Cesaro and Jack Swagger to defeat Rey Mysterio, the Rhodes brothers and the Usos in a Survivor Series match. Uh Ambrose was the first man eliminated. I believe Roman Reigns was the sole survivor spearing Rey Mysterio right out of his mask. And, you know, late that year, they started a feud with Punk, leading to a handicap match between Punk and The Shield at TLC. 
uh, th- this was one of the parts where Punk was like, you know what, I have to go over in this match. Make Reigns, and they're like, you know, make Roman look strong. And hey, you know what would make him look strong? Is if they beat me. Uh, uh, Roman Reigns accidentally spears Ambrose. This was allegedly going to lead to a breakup, but they were asked to remain together due to their lack of experience as singles wrestlers. You know, Roman Reigns was not very long into the business business at this point, although uh, Rollins and Ambrose were somewhat veterans at this point in time. Uh, going into 2014, you know, CM Punk was still feuding with the shield you know there was an infamous spot on monday night raw which i think was one of the old school raws you know one of cm punk's last appearances in the company had a spot where the baby faces cm punk and i don't know who else laid out the shield and then you heard jake the snake's entrance theme and oh here comes jake the snake for no reason he puts a snake on Ambrose. You, you can tell that Moxley was tickled pink to have Damien, but not really Damien, um, slither all over him. I mean, he, he smiled. You could, you could tell on camera, you know, the shield began rebelling against the authority against, you know, the new age outlaws and triple H. And this also eventually led to the brief reformation of evolution, having, Basically a dream feud. Speaking of dream feuds, I mean, we also had these rivaling factions between the Wyatt family and the Shield. And although they had a few matches and a few interactions, I thought WWE dropped the ball with with their feud. Because you had Bray Wyatt, a demented cult leader, going up against the Hounds of Justice, you know, going up against Injustices. Maybe Bray Wyatt is brainwashing Harper and Rowan, and you stand up to that injustice. I mean, the the writing was on the wall, but it it just did not click, although they put on some pretty good matches and some memorable spots. Uh, I'm not counting Kurt Angle as a Shield member, obviously. Hi, Nate. (laughs) That is a text from my good brother and co-host right there (laughs) um yeah eventually after the whole thing with evolution uh i think they did what they could with the shield they did all they could and now it's time for them to break up and everybody thought that ambrose was going to be the heel i thought that he would have played a very effective heel at this point in time But no, it was Seth Rollins that stuck his knife into the back of of Roman and Dean. You know, the latter two continued to team up a little bit and tried to keep the aura of the shield alive, which Roman Reigns had been doing since, you know, since they stopped because he got the entrance music, he got the, the shield, like the the vest and the gear, he got the gimmick. And for a while, the Shield were kept apart for a good reason because they had a run for about a year and a half. And as they say, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And finally, I think it was 
a year and a half ago was it 2018 you know Ambrose comes back from injury you know Seth Rollins is a is a reigning champion Roman Reigns is on TV this is before the brand split I believe and then they're all in the ring together and you, they hesitate the crowd's going nuts two fists and then finally the third fist in there we have that brief and unmemorable shield reunion i believe this was after ambrose's failed heel run it was just a bad idea i mean the gas mask and getting that friggin vaccination in the butt like all the bad you know smelly fans and ambrose had one good week of heel tv I mean, although it was at the expense of mentioning Roman Reigns' real-life battle with leukemia, and that was, you know, under his blessing. Because, <laughs> I mean, you're capitalizing on real-life drama. You're capitalizing on tragedy. They did it with Paul Bearer. They did it with a lot of wrestlers' deaths and and whatnot. So, yeah, I've, I've blathered on and on too much about The Shield. Although their run was brief... It was very memorable. Number four is another brief yet memorable faction in WWE. Uh, of course, this is the Radicals Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko, Perry Saturn. Well, these four men that defected from WCW in January 2000. Stemming from, you know, just the absolute gong show that WCW was at this point in time. <laughs> if you want to learn more about WCW's terror, go back and listen to uh, Mance and the Gift of Podcast. Although he didn't get to finish the era, um, he went back and all saw all this crap. The writing was on the wall. And these four lads left. I mean, the night before... Chris Benoit appeared on WWE Raw. He won the WCW title from Psycho Sid. So, before coming to WWE, these four men, along with Shane Douglas, were part of a stable in WCW called The Revolution. And of course, you know, Shane Douglas did not jump ship with them because he had a brief, terrible, unmemorable run in 1995 as Dean Douglas. So in 1999, many WCW stars were becoming unhappy with the political environment of the company, and management offered anyone who was unhappy a chance to be released from their contract. Raven was singled out for his comments, Uh, Bischoff offered an opportunity, and then Raven's like, okay, he just left, went to ECW. Uh, soon after, you know, Benoit Guerrero, Saturn Malenko, headed to the WWE. In a move that some saw as the death knell for WCW because they died within a year. They made, they made an immediate impact, debuting on January 31st, 2000 as audience members and backstage guests of Mick Foley. 
You know, they interfered in a match with Al Snow and Steve Blackman against the New Age Outlaws. Uh, Road Dog took a cheap shot by Benoit, which prompted all four men to beat down the Outlaws, come in the ring, and everyone hits the analog stick in No Mercy. Uh, Guerrero hits a frog splash on Billy Gunn. Benoit hits Air Canada on the Road Dog. And Jim Ross dubbed these men the Radicals. So right away, right here, we had the faction name. Uh, the following SmackDown, which I just listened to the SmackDown review on Cultaholic between, <clears throat> I mean, with Mafu from Botchamania and Tom Campbell, who've been going back and watching the entirety of SmackDown's run. A hilarious ride. Please, please check them out and check out, you know, Tom Campbell's other stuff on Cultaholic because he also covers the entire era of Monday Night Raw. Him and Justin Henry, who is a contributor on Cultaholic and an author. Uh, just everything that those lads do, I can't put them over enough. It, They're great. So you have a SmackDown where they all have matches. And during this one match with Eddie Guerrero, he hits a frog splash and there goes his rotator cuff. And a lot of people seem to think that that there was just kind of the, not the beginning of the end of the faction, but it's like, well, if he's injured, what can we do? So they lose and then, and then they find the loophole and, oh, of course they've been working with Triple H. It was a setup all along, Tom Campbell. <laughs> Don't sue me, please. So... There was there was a spot in the in the match between uh, Triple H and Benoit where, you know, there was a cripple across face and an unconscious ref and a tap out, but hey, it didn't count. So these four wrestlers were given contracts by Triple H in exchange for them turning on Mick Foley. And the and the radicals, it's either spelled with a Z or an S on your on-screen graphics, didn't really matter. Uh, they attained some measure of, of of success as a unit. However, after their split, they all drifted apart and became, you know, champions. Uh, Saturn and Malenko formed a tag team with the injured Guerrero serving as a manager. Uh, Benoit was the workhorse, the, the singles wrestler of the stable, and was there to give back up. You know, Malenko, he immediately, immediately, won the light heavyweight championship, which was funny because it annoyed Chris Benoit. Uh, Benoit is not a cruiserweight, so why are you mad, bro? Go after the Intercontinental title. So Saturn turned on Guerrero eventually. This instigated a feud over the European championship that Eddie won the night after WrestleMania 2000. And throughout the summer of 2000, the four drifted apart to pursue, pursue individual goals you know, Chris Benoit became the Intercontinental Champion a couple times, feuded with Chris Jericho in some phenomenal matches, and had a couple of great main event runs with The Rock. And he had like a phantom title win, I think, at, at some point in time there. Uh, Guerrero and uh, Saturn feuded over the European title. 
Uh, Malenko was on and off TV. I think he was still the light heavyweight champion. He might have dropped the title by then, but he wasn't on TV much. Maybe he was on Heat, Metal, or Jacked. But, you know. So eventually, Eddie became a fan favorite. You know, he had a brief romance with China. And then, in the summer, the summer, the winter of 2000, they they reunited. They, you know, formed the alliance with Triple H and the McMahon-Helmsley faction. And... I was going to say DX, but oh wait, nope, because Road Dog was teaming with, with uh, R-Truth at the time, and X-Pac was doing his, no, he was hurt. So yeah, it was just the McMahon-Helmsy faction and the Radicals. You know, the Radicals had a amazing outing at Survivor Series 2000, and then once again, they just kind of drift away. Eddie Guerrero had a brief alliance with the Hardys, but Unfortunately for him, he had his demons and he went into rehab during 2001 during the invasion angle for alcohol abuse. He completed a program, started working house shows again, but was released after driving while intoxicated. Saturn, Terry, and Malenko continued kind of as the radicals until Malenko's retirement was, you know... Cut, I mean, his career was cut short, and he retired just before the invasion angle started. So they had a very small but memorable memorable run. I think their debut and their individual levels of success kind of outweighs their run, but I just absolutely loved the Radicals on TV as a faction. Uh, it was great. Number three... Sorry, eh? My Canada is showing. Yes, this is Team Canada from TNA. We had Scott Damore, the coach, Johnny Devine, Bobby Roode, Petey Williams, Eric Young, A1, and occasional members slash X-Cup members slash temporary members, Tyson Dukes, Teddy Hart, Ruffy Silverstein, and for some reason, Jack Evans. I think this was an X-Cup thing. Now, not only is this one of my favorite Canadian stables of all time, you're going to hear another one later, spoiler alert. This was just... <sighs> I, can't, I can't describe how much I love this stable. You have A1 from... I believe he was from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, you idiot. Scott Namore from Windsor, Ontario. Johnny Devine, who I think is also from Winnipeg. Teddy Hart, of course, the heart of the Hart family. Robert Rude from Peterborough, Ontario, Canada, not far from where I was born and raised. Petey Williams from Windsor, and Eric Young from Cambridge, Ontario. Now, this was another group that had a very, very brief run. Uh, during the 2004, they were involved in a couple of X-Cups, where you had a wrestling promoter and personality, Scott Demore, 
as a coach, brought together some of his fellow countrymen to form his own incarnation of Team Canada for the X-Cup tournament. And I sure hope that this went better than WCW's Team Canada, which only had one Canadian. Yeah, Lance Storm was the sole representation of my home and native land during his stable in WCW. He had Mike Awesome, American, Elix Skipper, American, Major Guns, American, Jim Duggan. Uh, yeah, that made sense, having USA Jim Duggan as a member of Team Canada. But of course he had, you know, one-off members like PCO and the Mountie and even Bret Hart for one night as an appearance at New Blood Rising, which was in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, so it made sense. Now, the original team of Team Canada was Teddy Hart and Jack Evans with Johnny Devine and Petey Williams, despite the fact that Jack Evans is an American. When the X-Cup was announced, the team was revamped to add power and agility. So Petey Williams replaced Teddy Hart as captain, also probably because he was on drugs. Uh, Johnny Devine would remain on the team, and Eric Young and Bobby Roode would be added. They made it to the Ultimate X Finals, but unfortunately, they lost to Team USA of Jerry Lynn, Chris Sabin, Christopher Daniels, and Elix Skipper. Boo! Now, after the, the World X Cup, Team Canada stayed together. Uh, they went on to win the tag team titles twice with uh, Rude and Eric Young, and I'm disappointed we never got that that team in WWE. Captain Petey Williams won the X Division title, and of course they used an amazing version of O Canada, which you just heard on the electric guitar, always bringing a Canadian flag with him attached to a hockey stick. I mean, yeah, okay, come out with a large poutine. No, it's not poutine, it's poutine. And maybe some maple syrup and some Molson Canadian and a toque. What's a toque? It's a beanie. It's called a toque. How do you, don't ask me how to spell it. It's like T-O-O-Q-U-E. It's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and we're also the the country that correctly spell, spells color with an O-U. Now, in 2005, Team Canada add Alistair Ralphs, a.k.a. Uh, A1, to replace Johnny Devine, who was injured. And A1 was a big Tyson Tomko powerhouse kind of member, dubbed the Muscle Man. Team Canada formed an alliance with Planet Jarrett, uh, which also used some storylines from Border City Wrestling, which Scott Demore run, ran, runs. Uh, they feuded with three live crew. Team Canada would always, you know, get the upper hand on them. And then one of the worst days in TNA history happened on June 29th, 2006. Jim Cornette announced that Team Canada has disbanded. That was a shame. But my, my Canadian bias is absolutely showing yes will no wait that was ant 
<laughs> delete that and it's in yeah aunt nate my canadian bias is showing because this is not the only canadian stable on my list you know they had a brief reunion where they they represented by pd williams and eric young i believe or was it no robert rude they chant no didn't know it was pd williams ah you know what no <clears throat> delete that and it's in pd williams and pd williams and eric young reunited for one night only trying to challenge beer money for the tag team championship unsuccessfully yeah that that hurts but i will never forget pd williams defeating aj styles clean in a successful x division championship defense at victory road 2004 also which also saw i believe eric young and bobby Roode win the tag team titles scott demore just using the hockey stick being a prick you know we're not all polite up here <laughs> we can be jerks <laughs> and i absolutely love it team canada you guys win I want to see a modern day Team Canada in WWE. Uh, you can get guys like, you know, Robert Roode can be a part of it. And who, uh, I don't want to see, you know, Edge or any of the, any legends get involved. Maybe like Chelsea Green, she, she could be in it. That would make a good Team Canada. I'm going to come back to this. And uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, there we go. Hey, there we go. I just made a new Team Canada. <laughs> i'm gonna get i'm gonna put a pin on this and do this again so my number two i'm gonna let you know now nostalgia shades are heavily heavily on here are you ready now this was a really tough choice my number two was between dx and the nwo uh and i thought about the effect that both of these factions had in my life now thanks to degeneration x and i guess sable and father time degeneration x was around the time i was hitting puberty <laughs> um yeah uh, being blunt there yeah it was it was Degeneration X, Sable, that, it was just that whole spot in life, you know, I was in 8th grade when Degeneration X was, was being formed, and when they had their biggest run, I was between 8th and 9th grade, so I was just about in high school, I was just in that age range where it was cool to be a DX fan, like, everywhere I went, you know, I'd see my friends and instead of waving pie, I'd give them the crotch chop. <laughs> Whereas today now, I'm just doing air too sweet because social distancing. Now, the original incarnation of DX, which was just Triple H, China, and Shawn Michaels, and well, for a very, very brief point in time, Rick Rude, I did not like. Because they were feuding with my beloved, beloved hearts. Uh, they're the number one faction and it's going on now it's it's obvious who it's gonna be 
But it wasn't until Shawn Michaels left WWE in 1998, following WrestleMania 14 with his um, spinal uh, injury, that they really took off. I mean, Shawn Waltman returned the night after WrestleMania, and they formed with, uh, reformed, teamed, gosh, I can't speak, with the Road Dog and Billy Gunn, helping them win the Tag Team Championships back from Mick Foley and Terry Funk. And then, they took right off. Triple H, China, X-Pac, and the New Age Outlaws. Just the... Oh, what's... What, 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 what's the words I'm, I'm looking for right now? Society, culture, the culture, thank you. It's the culture of, you know, adolescence and, and high school and being a teenager at this point in time. They, they, they just nailed it. They, they, they just got it. I mean, who could forget when DX was going to war with WCW, you know, whom they were with indirect competition with. <laughs> and they went to, you know, legitimate visits to WCW headquarters and to live events. <laughs> it was funny. Uh, on April 27th, 1998, both Raw and Nitro took place in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, a mere 19 miles apart. Uh, you know, DX traveled to the to the show in at the Scope in Norfolk, shouting insults through WCW through a bullhorn, accusing WCW of giving free tickets to <laughs> lineup arenas, uh, referencing Click members Holland Nash. Of course, they were they were not let in. And they had their feuds with the Nation of Domination, which also featured a very racist uh, <laughs> impersonation of the Nation. Well, namely X-Pac and Blackface doing Mizark Henry. Not funny. What was funny was Jason Sensation dressing up as Owen Hart doing the spot-on impersonation of him. And throughout the years, this, the culture of DX was was cool eventually their their spell their well ran dry and then they then they became well non-existent for a while but then when they came back in 06 and then in what 09 and then recently it just became nothing but a bunch of bad sad old dads trying to relive their former glory but 98, early 99, DX was the pinnacle of cool. It was like Steve Austin, then DX, then The Rock. I mean, you couldn't get cooler than that whole attitude. You know, DX and the Attitude Era go together like peanut butter and jelly. Like, it's... I can't go on about how how DX affected me because 
well, hey, I used to crotch chop my teachers and I didn't get detention. They crotch chopped me back because they were wrestling fans too. So, yeah, it was very hard for me to pick between DX and the NWO, but I'm just going to go for, for DX just for the fact that, you know, DX, they just sparked that attitude in me. You know, I wasn't a shit disturber. I wasn't a bad kid, but I loved, you know, the crotch chop and Austin doing the the double bird and giving people the stunner. <laughs> it count, counterculture, can't counterculture of its time. I'm blabbing because I'm very very tired, folks. Number 1, I'm just going to breeze through it cuz it's been a long episode. The Hart Foundation. Bret Hart, Owen Hart, the British Bulldog, and Brian Pillman. Sadly, only one of these men are with us today, and it's Bret Hart. Now, if you listen to my all-time favorites list, you know that Bret and Owen Hart are at the top of my list. With Owen Hart just edging out Bret. Now, in 1997, uh, Bret Hart had turned heel uh, during this infamous double turn with that submission match with Steve Austin from WrestleMania 13, which is amazing. Go watch it now. Uh, he buried the hatchet with, with his family. I mean, he brought out Owen Hart on, on TV and said, Owen, I love you. you know, and Owen Hart just breaks down crying only only like Owen could God rest his soul he buries the hatchet with British Bulldog they bring back Jim Neidhart for this I forgot to mention uh, Brian Pillman gets involved in here during the last few months of his life which just must have been so happy for him I mean Pillman had he had a rough go Especially in the later aspects of life, I think painkillers and whatnot. And he had like a heart condition on top of that, but the very brief run that the Heart Foundation had, their anti-American tirade was just perfect. I mean, at the time, I was booing them on TV because TV told me to. I was 13 years old I was what people would call a mark or a smart I don't know these terms still after 25 years of watching wrestling yeah but looking back on it now I am a sucker for an anti-american gimmick and I am on a wrestling network with a bunch of Americans <laughs> and I say this and I say it in good taste because you know i'm a i'm a proud canadian uh very boastfully proud canadian and i just love poking fun at the states at every turn i get <laughs> it's like you know that united states is shaped like a big toilet bowl seriously how can you not look at a map and not see that oh and the waters in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, I'm I'm not touching that. <laughs> so you had them going on this anti-American tirade where 
every other week they were in Canada or America, you, you go down to like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he gets booed out of the building. And it's like, you know, I would, oh yeah, this country set up like a toilet bowl. I would drain the septic tank right here in Pittsburgh. Uh, next week they're in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Heroes welcome. It's like, yeah, here in Canada, we still take care of the sick and the elderly. Uh, we're polite. You know, we have free health care. We have hockey. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Next week, back in America, boo. So what do you do? You capitalize on this USA versus Canada feud. You get in your house Canadian stampede where you had you know, the Anvil, Pillman, Owen, Brett and Bulldog going up against the Legion of Doom, Ken Shamrock, um, Vader, I think Vader, and, no, not Vader, it was Steve Austin, Ken Shamrock, the Legion of Doom, and probably the Patriot or someone, I don't know, I can't, I can't, excuse me, remember. And that run led to the end of Bret Hart's run in WWF with the screw job. And that sucked. I'll, I'll say that the screw job for me sucked. I went to a house show just three days after it. It was my first live wrestling event ever. And the atmosphere was weird. People were chanting, we want Bret. And my cousin and I, who were kind of smart to it, had to ruin some kid's life by saying, yeah, Brett's going to be in WCW in like a month. I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, Brett... The, the, the whole the whole thing with him was great. I mean, it was hokey. It was cheap heat, but anti-American heat is cheap. Look at the un-Americans who were almost on my list. They capitalized on that post-9-11 patri patriotism. And some and they were getting vile reactions, you know, even at the airports. I mean, it was getting pretty scary for them. Yeah, I've gone on long enough, folks. This is too much of me talking for anyone to bear. No wonder I don't have any friends. So thank you very much for listening to this edition of Francis Faith 5. As I said, follow me on the socials at the legendary JF on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Wrestle Addict Radio. Listen to us. We are the cure for the common wrestling podcast. And folks, it's been a long one. God bless you. I love you. Wade, get well soon, brother. We're praying for you.